0: And then you can take a next step if you get really, really brave, once once you've adapted to the idea that there are multiple interpretations of the same text, um, is to be able to argue with that text, to wrestle with it, because the word Israel means to wrestle with God. So some of those texts, you may have multiple interpretations, and they're all fabulous. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But what if that text simply cannot be redeemed? Um, Slaves be obedient to your masters, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, or some of that destructive material one finds in Revelation, which I find really difficult to deal with. Mm. Um, every once in a while, I want to argue with Jesus. And like, Did you really mean that? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, what about that divorce thing? So um, sometimes you want to argue with the text, or mm. you, you might want to argue with God, and the text gives you permission to do that. That's what the lament psalms, like Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, that's what they're doing is they're complaining so the text is not there simply to be interpreted it's there to be lived yeah Um, and if you live with someone and you love someone you will on occasion argue with that person
2: came up from all the struggle we still in trenches there's no tomorrow tighten up like some riches see it all on my skin it is so i'm grinning get happy for my own people moving forward now let's get it let's take it back in the day we came up from the bottom made it up to the top like we all want the lotto we all rich in the love ain't got more than enough it can spread the whole masses just trust me this not a bluff just know you're worth it don't settle we not wasting no time but we can't get it back Oh, yeah, we gon' gonna be fine. We move in like we on Broadway. Let us get our shine. Already conquered the past. Why there's still a divide? Break down, let's come together. Put one fist in the air. No worries about the outsiders. We ain't got no care. Got the old raccoon by ya. Let me go grab a chair. Share stories about our ancestors. They died for us to be heirs. I was yeah. born by the river.
0: Baptize me, don't
3: chastise me. I'm a god. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. Uh, I am your host, and this is episode number 139, and it's my conversation with A.J. Levine. This is the first episode of a two-part special. So today we're talking to A.J. Uh, Next week we're talking to Mark Brettler. It's a special because they wrote a book together called The Bible With and Without Jesus. And So today we're going to get A.J.'s perspective, next week we'll get Mark's perspective. Uh, A.J. is the uh, the expert in the New Testament. Mark is the expert in the Old Testament. And so you have the Bible with Jesus and without Jesus. Uh, Christians can't help but read the Bible with Jesus in mind, even Old Testament passages, right? Think of the book of Isaiah and the uh, suffering servant, right? He was pierced for our transgressions, a Christian reads that, boom, Jesus. But a Jewish person reads that, and they're like, yo, how do you, how do you find Jesus? Jesus' name isn't even there. Well, why do, why do you have to read Jesus into this passage that when it was written, I mean, it had nothing to do with Jesus? And so both of these people come together and talk to us about the Bible, and they go through various passages of the Bible, uh, talk to us about how Christians see it, how Jewish people see it, what it might have meant in its original context, Uh, Really, really interesting stuff. It's a longer book. It's going to take you some time to get through, but it's not a hard read. It's just a long book because they talk about a lot of stuff, and uh, I really think you're going to enjoy it. And I thought to myself, like when I got the book, what I imagined was going to happen was that there was going to be like a chapter written by AJ on the New Testament, a chapter written by Mark about the Old Testament, and back and forth, back and forth for the whole book, But it's not like that at all. They actually took the time to blend their voices into one voice, so you don't know who's writing what in the book. And I asked AJ kind of about their writing process in the episode, and really interesting to hear her uh, response. So I think you're going to like the book. I think you're going to love the episodes. Uh, I'm excited to share them with you. A couple of things before we roll the tape. uh, Patreon.com and BuyMeACoffee.com are two places where you can go to give to the show to support the show financially. Patreon is a tier-based program, uh, a monthly kind of giving option. Buy Me A Coffee is a one-time giving option. So maybe you want to go and throw $5 at the show, $10, $50, whatever you want to do, a one-time donation there. So Patreon and Buy Me A Coffee. And also the Heretic Shop, if you want to pick up some merch, uh, some t-shirts, some hats, some hoodies, sweatpants, all the different things. Uh, Spring is on the way, so there's some new designs in there. And if you follow me on social media, you know that I like colors. All of my graphics have bright colors. Uh, a lot of my clothes uh, will have bright colors that I make in the shop because I just like—I like colors. I just bought a pair of Vans, two pairs of Vans uh, from Vans.com that were on sale, and they are loud and obnoxiously bright. And <laughs> just the way I like stuff. I like colors make me happy. And so uh, when I design a new shirt or something like that, it usually has a significant amount of wow factor <laughs> to it. So uh, I design stuff that I would like to wear, and I hope that you would like to wear it as well. So I'll put the link to it uh, in the show notes. Special music today. It's from my friend Young Citizen. I uh, put his music on the show a lot uh, because it's just like he's like part of the show. I work with him uh, at Apple. And he's doing really good things in the city of Charlotte. He's a hip-hop artist. I mean, he doesn't just make good music, but he he works with the kids, with the youth in the area. Uh, he's doing a lot of good things in his particular areas of the city. Um, and I really appreciate him and his work and his passion. And so I, I try to use this as a place uh, to give his music kind of a, a little bit of a spotlight, as small as that spotlight may be. Uh, but I feel like it just helps get his music out there a little bit, and I think that's important. So head over to Apple Music. Head over to Spotify. Uh, listen to him, Young Citizen, Y-U-N-G, download it, leave him some good feedback on there, uh, pass around the music, blast it from your speakers, all the things. Uh, on the topic of Apple, if you could do me a solid, uh, head over to the Apple Podcast app and leave a rating and a review. Now, we've had for a while like 62 ratings, and uh, they were a 5-star and 1-4-star, and now... This past week there's one one star review and one three star review, but no no like comment, no review. So you can rate it with a star and you can review it with a comment. And so there's some ratings that aren't aren't very good and there's no comment to go along with it. I don't mind if there's like a low rating. I don't actually want people to just give five stars because they feel like they have to. I'd rather be people be honest, but if you're gonna give a one star review, if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this and you're going to give a one-star review, leave a comment. At least leave some helpful feedback. Don't go and say that the show is garbage. I hate it. That's, that's pointless. I'm probably going to take a screenshot of it and make fun of you on social media if that's what you do. But leave an honest review. Leave an honest comment. Like, if you don't like the show, tell me why. I mean, I'm sitting, I devote my time to this thing every week for crying out loud. I sit here every week. I talk to people. I pour hours into editing this thing and putting this thing together so if you don't like it tell me what you don't like is it my voice I mean I I could talk different I could maybe talk a little bit smoother I don't know is it my voice is it you know I got a pop filter in front of me so you don't have to hear the peas popping out of my mouth I I try to do that Uh, you know I try to edit out some of the longer pauses and some of the you know if I cough or something like that you do not have to listen to that but what is it that you don't like is it the guest is it the content just tell me I'm open to feedback uh, just make it honest and make it real, make it helpful for me. Uh, and if you do like the show, leave a five-star review because that helps. But no matter what you do, if you hate the show, you love the show, uh, if you leave ratings, you leave reviews, it helps with the algorithms. So the more that there are, I don't know how I don't know how that works, but the more that there are, the more it plays in favor of the algorithm. So if people search your show, if people search spirituality, there's a greater chance that this podcast will pop up if it has more ratings and reviews on iTunes. So uh, do me a solid. Head over to the Apple Podcast app. Uh, leave a rating. Leave a review. Make it honest. Don't feel like you have to leave a five-star, but I will appreciate it if you do, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but leave me some honesty. Let me know how, how you like the show, you don't like the show, what I can do to make it better, all the different things. So uh, all that to say, my friends, uh, this is episode number 139, and we are about to roll the tape on A.J. Levine. Going in three, two, one. Enjoy.
2: Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed fancy. Wish I on a pile, so go with the rainbow by the Tom Clancy. Wish time you. Uh, I had no debt. Maybe you. then I can't flex. Going here to run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other sand, most beat, I'm a check. Wish I for my people. Uh, I wish I had you. more, better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name our own people. shall we bring our old sand? Where we live is so bland, so I much wish. we're high on demand. Tiptoe around, throwing high lows. Feel like James I Brown, love we go going here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know I who's wish. at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the I own wish. lock. Champion, go ahead, call the ambulance. I so wish. we set our own ambience. WTDG, train to go. I Let's wish. talk, no rambling. Wishing I, I wish. Wishing I had something for I had something going Hello, friends, and
3: welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're sitting down with repeat guest and listener favorite, AJ Levine, to talk about the new book that she wrote with Mark Brettler. Uh The book is called The Bible with and without Jesus. And so, AJ, welcome back to the podcast. It's always an honor.
0: It's always fun to talk with you. Thank you.
3: Thank you. So, for our listeners, uh, if you want to hear more about AJ's story, you can head back to episode 93 and kind of give it a listen. But for now, uh, AJ, I just kind of want to jump right in. And I wanted to ask, uh, first of all, uh, for our listeners, what is this book about? And specifically for our Christian listeners who maybe, like myself, were raised in that evangelical world. We understand the Bible with Jesus very well. But how on earth could the pos- Bible possibly be read without Jesus? <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And, and Jews are asking, how, how, how can you read that first part with? Because, right. you know, you don't see. You don't see Jesus of Nazareth popping up by name in Genesis or Isaiah.
1: Mm.
0: So what What my co-author, Mark Brettler, and I thought we would do, we had, we had edited the Jewish annotated New Testament, mm. and we knew that we had much more, uh, many more points that we wanted to make and many more stories we wanted to explore, and we don't have the room for it in the earlier book. Yeah because as we were going through, it was very clear that um, Jews read uh, the creation story very differently than Christians do. Jews don't have a fall narrative. We have a kind of an original opportunity. (laughs) Um, When Jews read Isaiah, we don't see Jesus in the suffering servant. We see, oh, about a dozen or more individuals in that suffering servant. Mm. Um, Some of the passages that are really, really important in Christianity, like Psalm 110, um, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, which gets picked up in a lot of places, especially the epistle to the Hebrews. Jews don't know this stuff. Um, so we thought this would be a good book that would introduce Jews to Christian readings and thus to some Christians and Christians to Jewish readings. And in a very practical sense, when people, people write to me all the time on email. I mean, so your listeners are welcome to write to me. That's fine. But I get a lot of letters saying, Dear Professor Levine, if you'd only read Isaiah 53 carefully, you would see that the entire Old Testament predicts Jesus. Just and now they have an entire <laughs> book that can say, all those texts you want to cite at me, here's how Jews have been reading those texts through the yeah. centuries. We mm-hmm. have our own readings, and we don't need to put Jesus in there because we have our own interpretive history. And at the same time, I can say to Jews who say, well, AJ, your Christian friends, where are they seeing all this stuff? Mm-hmm. I can explain to them. Here's how they see it and here's why they see it so we can come to recognize where those different readings come from
3: yeah Uh, one of the things i picked up in your book that i really i never really thought of before is that a lot of a lot of passages that christians look back at the old testament as prophecies weren't really considered to be prophecies at all like we look at them
0: prophecies after the fact
3: yeah like we read into them i guess what we what we see later on in the bible But
0: everybody does that Um, because, because when you read a text as scripture, as opposed to reading, say Homer as history or Mm. Virgil as history, um, we want to locate ourselves in the text and we want that text to be speaking directly to us. Yeah. Because if it's not, then it's just, it's an ancient text. It's not scripture. It's not authoritative. It's not to use the Christian term inspired.
1: Mm. Um,
0: And then what happens is we, something happens in our lives and we look back at the text and say, oh, that's what it meant.
1: Right.
3: Right. And that's
0: a perfectly normal human reaction. Definitely. But what is prophecy for one person might be poetry for someone else or mm. history or literature.
3: So out of curiosity, what was the what was the writing process like? Because to be honest, when I first heard about this book, I, I expected for like each page or section to tell me who was writing. Like maybe <laughs> you were going to write one passage and then Mark was going to write something else. But the book really seems to be almost a blend of your voices. So did like you both write things together? Did you write something and then like the other one edited it? Like, how did that work?
0: Yeah, um, and it, it's a great process. And Mark and I work really, really well together. We're often on different continents. Mm. Um, and he's usually several hours ahead of me. So he sends me stuff, I wake up and see it in the morning. Um, <laughs> and if he's angry at something, um, or he wasn't happy with what I did, by the time I talk with him, it's eight or nine hours later. So it's all good. <laughs> Um, Mark wrote the primary material on the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, because Mm. Mark's basically a Hebraist. He's an Old Testament uh, Tanakh, Hebrew Bible specialist. Mm. I wrote the material on the New Testament. And then we, we kept going back and forth. I kept saying to Mark, can you put in more here? And can you put in more there? Back when I was in graduate school at Duke, which is actually where Mark now teaches, Um, I I was in the New Testament program, but the dean of the Divinity School at the time did not allow me to teach in New Testament courses because I'm not a Christian. Mm. Um, But I was supposed to teach because part of my fellowship required teaching. So they sent me to the Old Testament courses. Consequently, I took all the Ph.D. courses for Old Testament along with New Testament. So I know stuff. Um, But a little knowledge is always a dangerous thing. So Mark would write up his chapter and I'd say, but what about this word? And couldn't it not be nuanced this way? And what about this interpretation? And for the New Testament material, because Mark is less familiar with that, Um, stuff that I presumed everybody would know, (laughs) Uh, Mark, because I grew up in a Catholic neighborhood, uh, Mm. Mark, who grew up in an entirely Jewish neighborhood, said, Jews won't get this. You need to unpack it. You need to find some analogy to something that that Jews who don't talk to Christians would be able to understand. Um, So it was back and forth and back and forth. We fussed over every single word, um, sometimes I would put in a couple of puns and I, you know, I wait in trepidation to determine whether <laughs> Mark, would let me keep them in or right. not. Um, but we work very, very well together. We have, we have mutual respect and in cases where we disagree, uh, back and forth and back and forth, we were able to work out those disagreements.
3: I love it. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, I love the way you set up the book um, early on. It says, we hope that people with different interpretations with and without Jesus will talk to each other and understand each other better. Maybe talk to me more about, about this hope that you and Mark have for understanding, because I, I imagine that if if I enter into a dialogue with somebody who maybe views scripture differently than than I do, I imagine that the outcome of the conversation will look drastically different If instead of trying to win an argument or a debate i instead try to understand what that person thinks why they think that way and how they came to that conclusion am i kind of on the right track
0: yeah exactly so because you i don't think you can say i love my neighbor unless you know what your neighbor is thinking yeah um or you know i'm supposed to love the stranger who dwells among us which is also leviticus 19 if i know nothing about that stranger because love i think requires some sort of reaching out and communication. Otherwise, it's just abstract. It's, it, it's got social capital, but it doesn't get you anywhere.
3: Yeah.
0: So, how do you get to know your neighbor? How do you get to know members of your family? Um, generally, I think when people read the Bible, especially if they're doing it for personal spiritual concerns, they begin by saying, What does this text mean to me at this time? Hmm.
1: Right?
0: Um, but then they might talk with their friends and say, You know, I read this text and here's what I got out of it. And a friend might say, Oh, I read the same text and here's what I got out of it. And And then you have this marvelous moment of sharing because the text is always going to mean more than one person can think, right? Even Mm. the greatest biblical scholar, some first year student will show up in the classroom and ask a question that scholar had never considered or come up with an answer that that had never crossed that scholar's mind. Mm. So one way you get to know your neighbor, particularly if you're both interested in religion and you're sharing a text, or at least you think you're sharing a text is to have a conversation about that text. We can yeah. do it about movies. We can do it about TV shows or books or concerts.
3: Right. You
0: know, what did you think of the inauguration? What did mm. you think of the poem? Uh, what did you think of the music afterwards? Did Jews really understand and know the lyrics to Amazing Grace? Right. I mean, so we're always talking about things that we experience together. Why not this?
3: I think that's so beautiful. Like coming out of seminary, there was a, it was, Almost like ingrained into your my head anyway that like I there's a way to understand the text and there's ways not to understand the text. And so it was very very much like my way or the highway kind of thinking. And I always <laughs> yeah. often found like engaging in conversations like I'd be listening to somebody and be like, well, they have a good point, but that's not really right. That was like always the thought in the back of my head. But when I started this podcast and I started to have these conversations with people, I started to realize that just as I have a story, In a background, and a context that brought me to my understanding of the text, so does somebody else. And if I would put myself in their shoes, maybe live through their childhood experiences, maybe their own church experiences, their life experiences, I would probably come to a very similar understanding that they do. So I feel like there's almost a connection there. We could be on very different pages, but still share that connection that we have a story.
0: Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's not terribly dissimilar to American politics, just, despite the divisiveness of yeah. have. I mean, we share documents. Yeah, And one of the things that we need to do is determine what those documents mean and how we interpret them today. Mm-hmm. That's why we have people called lawyers. Um, so uh, better to have a civil conversation about this material and realize that a text might speak in multiple ways. Uh, better to determine what the text means for ourselves and then not stop there but figure out what else it has meant to people in different communities or at different times. And in terms of those seminary educations where I'm going to teach you the truth and the <laughs> only truth, and that's it, Right. Um, uh, it is important to come up with, with answers. Mm. But I think it's important to begin with asking the right questions. Yes. And if, if seminary education is simply a matter of indoctrination, then nobody's asking any questions. Um, you're simply repeating what other people have said Um, And there's no guarantee that what other people have said in the past is necessarily what the Holy Spirit is leading people to in the present. That's right.
3: I had one professor, I was just talking about this on another episode with somebody, but it was my hermeneutics professor. And I remember, I'll never forget, like up to that point, I had this understanding that there was one way to understand the text, but he divided the class up into all different groups. Like there were two people in each group, so maybe like 10 groups. And he gave everybody they assigned the same passage, but we were all to come from a different background. So maybe yeah. one group was reformed, one was Presbyterian, one group came from an abused family, whatever. We were all to come up with a, an application for the text and everybody came up with different applications, but none of them were necessarily wrong. I remember that being a really eye-opening moment for me to think that my goodness, like it's just, there's not just one understanding, there's multiple ways to understand it. If we could bring that into our conversations, How much more enlightening would
0: they be absolutely um and then you can take a next step if you get really really brave Mm. um once you once you've adapted to the idea that there are multiple interpretations of the same text um is to be able to argue with that text Mm. to wrestle with it because the word israel means to wrestle with god so some of those texts you may have multiple interpretations and they're all fabulous Mm. but what if that text simply cannot be redeemed um, slaves be obedient to your masters, mm. for example, um, or some of that destructive material one finds in Revelation, which I find really difficult to deal with. Mm. Um, every once in a while, I want to argue with Jesus. And like, Did you really mean that? Right. <laughs> um, you know, what about that divorce thing? So sometimes you want to argue with the text, or mm. you, you might want to argue with God, and the text gives you permission to do that. That's what the lament Psalms, like Psalm 22 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, that's what they're doing. Mm. is they're complaining. So the text is not there simply to be interpreted. It's there to be lived. Um, And if you live with someone and you love someone, you will on occasion argue with that person, Mm. but you do it out of love.
3: Yeah. Do you think that Jewish people do this better than Christians? This whole concept of trying to pursue understanding of the other and then arguing with the text? Because I feel like for me, like again, growing up in the Christian church, just felt like there was this heavy expectation to conform to a particular understanding and that almost like that pressure to conform created this lack of desire, maybe this lack of patience to understand the other person and how they came to their their conclusions. Is that like a similar issue in Judaism or is it very different?
0: It's a different pedagogical structure so that Jewish kids are encouraged to ask questions, Jewish kids are encouraged to be individuals. Mm. You know, of course, they're all perfect, Um, (laughs) (laughs) including including me. Um, I mean, but there's a reason for this this distinction in culture. Um, Mm. So that if you think about religion, very, very narrowly defined as something that you get into by belief, then the first Christians, invented religion because you didn't get in based on who your parents were right. and you didn't get in based on your geographical location or your ethnic group you got in because you had this faith in jesus um jews are we are people right? right so we're people by descent you can convert in like you can become an american citizen you can become a jew if you're not and there's a process for that uh, but jews are basically jews the way americans are americans like so you're, you're born into it Um, If you're born into a group, it's much easier to argue with other people in the group because at the end of the day, you're all still Jews.
3: Right. Still family.
0: Right. So, you know, even if you you might not terribly like the other person, you're still stuck with each other. Uh, But but that type of familial or peoplehood idea Um, allows more easily for multiple interpretations of the same text, and it allows for argument of interpretation. And what the Jewish tradition did is it used argument as a pedagogical style. So think about argument along the lines of say, playing chess with somebody who's better than you, or playing tennis with somebody who's better than you. Mm. So you keep batting the ball across, or you keep moving your pieces, um, and somebody keeps paring you, or checking you, or hitting the ball back. That's argument you say something, somebody contradicts you, or somebody says, but what about? Mm. And the more you play, and that argument is that that Bible study with argument, that's play, and it's great fun, the better you get at it. Mm. Um, so if you really like playing tennis, then you play with somebody who's better, and then you get better. And then you find another person who's a little bit better, and you get better. Yeah. But that's Jewish Bible studies. You, mm. you, you tossing the ball back. What about this? How about that? How would you translate this term? Where else does that term show up? What about this verse? Hmm. And it's encouraged. And each time you do that with a new verse or a new idea or a counter argument, you get to hone your argument or develop it or change your mind. And all of that's terrific. Yeah.
3: It's like you go into it, not with the expectation just to win, but the expectation to learn and to get better
0: exactly so
3: yeah um,
0: oh um in a number of synagogue contexts that i've been in um particularly on a saturday morning um so you have a service they have lunch right just, you know, <laughs> we feed people right in the morning and you're sitting around <laughs> at, the, at the lunch table after the service and you're talking about the torah reading because that's what you do um and and somebody comes up with an idea you know the, that the rabbi didn't mention or he could have said this or he could have said that and you get something really good you pass around a bottle of liquor because you, you're not going to drive on the Sabbath. And you toast. <laughs> Great reading. Terrific. Okay, you can do it with grape juice. So that's, that's fine, too. But it's a celebration of, of coming up with, with a meaning of the text that somebody else had not heard. And the text then becomes even more powerful. And you're happy about it. And you've shared an idea.
3: Mm, I love that.
0: And you have a sandwich. I mean, it's terrific.
3: (laughs) I love that. Uh, You say in the book, and this is a a quote, uh, there is no such thing as the Bible. Different Mm -hmm. religious communities have different Bibles. So Maybe talk to me about about this, and why is it important to realize that what you consider to be the Bible isn't maybe what other followers, even of your religion, consider to be the Bible throughout the course of history or, or even today?
0: Right. Well, first of all, we have no original manuscripts anywhere. And for those of my students who say, yeah, they're really there and they're buried somewhere, the authentic right. text, the autographs, fine, but we don't have them. Yep. Um, we have different canons. So for, for the Jewish traditions, the Tanakh, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the mm. Nevi'im, the prophets, and the writings, the Ketuvim, the kind of miscellaneous stuff. Um, Christians have a part two and different Christians have different part twos. So if you're Catholic or Anglican or Orthodox, you've got the deuterocanonical literature, like the books of the Maccabees, right? Jews get the holiday of Hanukkah, Christians get the book of Maccabees. It's weird, but, you know, it works. <laughs> right. uh, uh, the, the, the ancient ver- the Greek version of the book of Esther makes Esther a whole lot more pietistically, practicingly Jewish than mm. the Hebrew version does that's recited in the synagogue. Um, so you've got all this extra Greek stuff, which is part of the Catholic Anglican and Orthodox Old Testament. And then Christians have a part two. Um, and then there's the Book of Mormons, if, if we want to include Latter-day Saints in here. Mm. So, we, I mean, we have different lists of scripture. Plus, we're working off different translations. So there are some people who still insist that the King James Version is what Moses received on Mount Sinai and <laughs> on the Sermon on the Mount, right? Because Right. in. <laughs> uh, and when I have students who say this, I said, why, why do you think that? And they say, Because the title is the Authorized Bible, to which mm. I respond, Yeah, authorized by the King of England. I thought we kind of separated from that. Right.
1: Um,
0: or, or who are wedded to the NIV or the NRSV. The NRSV is about to come out in a new translation, um, or the New American Bible Revised Edition, which is the Catholic translation, which is about to have a new translation.
1: Mm.
0: So, I mean, the translations are unstable. Um, the texts are unstable. The ancient manuscripts are unstable. We have different canons and different canonical orders, with different books. Yeah. Um, and there are some um, there are some Christian communions that include the Book of Enoch, for example, or the Book of Jubilees. So yeah, we've got different Bibles. And instead of saying mine is right and yours is wrong, which really doesn't get us anywhere, it just makes us feel good. The better question might be, what's in your canon? Yeah. Uh, and what, what order do this book show up in? Because order makes a difference. You know, we're, we all start with Genesis, but we end differently.
1: Mm.
0: Do we end with the book of Revelation? Do we end as most uh, Christian Old Testaments do with Malachi? Do we end as most Jewish Tan- Tanakh collections do? Tanakh is not a biblical word. It's a later acronym. Do we end with Malachi, which is where most of them end today? Or do we end with, um, uh, excuse me, do we end with Second Chronicles? Um, or do we end with Ezra and Nehemiah, where some ancient Torah scrolls uh, full scrolls ended? Yeah, so why are we arguing about which is the legitimate? We have we have no original
1: right yeah, so
0: maybe we should have a conversation with yeah. each other.
1: Mm.
0: say, how do you understand this text? Are you reading Genesis through um, oh, I don't know, First Timothy, the man was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor?
3: Hmm.
0: Um, or are you reading Genesis through the rabbinic text Genesis Rabbah, which has a very different reading of the Adam and Eve story?
3: Hmm. It's so enlightening to ask somebody that. Like it's, like you said, instead of arguing about whose Bible is right and mine has the right books in it, this one does not, to ask, well, why does this particular Bible include these texts? Like, Why have these texts been so meaningful to these people throughout the course of their... History, And I think that even understanding the answer to that question can almost make you maybe a better follower of your own, of your own scriptures and of your own religion.
0: Uh, My colleague, Mark, likes to talk about texts, some that are in like 50 point type and some that are in three point type. (laughs) So even if you're looking at relatively the same text, some of some of the passages you might put in 50 point type and they're huge and they're majorly important and others, you know, not so much. Yeah. So for the synagogue, yeah. the Torah, the first five books, that's really important. All those law codes, that's really, really important. Christianity, book of numbers, you know, not so much.
1: <laughs> um,
0: Jews give the book of Esther an entire holiday. And in churches on Sunday, pretty much the only time you have the book of Esther is on like Churchwoman United Sunday, where you get, you have been chosen for such a time. <laughs> right. That right. right. Um, the
3: one verse in there, everybody knows. <laughs> yeah,
0: one <laughs> verse everybody knows, um, except for Jewish kids who know the whole story, because right. we the holiday of Purim, which is based on the Book of Esther, is mm. it's kind of like homecoming, Halloween, and New Year's Eve rolled up into one. It's a great holiday. Um, so yeah, we, we emphasize different parts of the text. Uh, we use different translations. We sometimes use different punctuations. Um, we have different reception histories. Oh yeah, and yeah. the text is open to all that stuff. That's why it makes. It, that's why it's so interesting. Mm. I've had
3: this might be a little off talk, but I've had a growing interest lately in some of the Gnostic texts. And kind of reading them as a Christian, obviously, there's some of them are very strange, but some of them I feel like are have been very enlightening and almost helpful to me. But like reading these has shown me, I think the real diversity of the Christian religion, especially in the past and how seemingly maybe even narrow it's become over the years. So it's like what I consider to be the Bible today is actually quite different than what other Christians in the past might have considered to be the Bible. So I think even now, like I was in growing up, like in Bible college, seminary, the Gnostic texts were off limits. They're wrong, they're heretical, forget about them. But now kind of examining them and saying, well, to your point, like why try to understand, like, why was this important to somebody way back yeah. then? Like, why did somebody see the need to bury this or to hide this when they were told that it should be burned so i think that's something that i've i've learned
0: or what do we count as scripture and what do we count as part of our history but not as scripture
3: yeah and
0: sometimes what happens i found with some of my students or in some seminary context is scripture is not really the bible scripture is say um calvin's interpretation of the bible or luther's interpretation of the bible
1: Mm. um,
0: so that we start elevating the commentators to the role of of, you know inspired scripture and that becomes a problem um I, i spent years in graduate school studying Coptic so I could read these mm. texts. Um, and I remember at the time being totally enthralled by them. Uh, and Coptics, if you know Greek, Coptic's actually pretty easy. Um, so it, sound, it sounds more elitist than it actually is. But the problem <laughs> is the scrolls themselves, um, a lot of them are really quite elite. Like you have to have this special gnosis, this special knowledge in order to understand this isn't for, you know, the, like the hoi polloi, the masses out there. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't think Jesus was all that elitist.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and uh, the other thing is a lot of them are world denying and flesh denying, like the yeah. body is a problem and you need to get out of it
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, as opposed to the body is in the image and likeness of God. And it's a wonderful and splendid thing. Yeah. So I, I think if I lived in antiquity, I'd probably want to read, well, I'd want to be able to read, but I'd want to be able to read those those texts and then probably decide these might be folks, you know, to go to a, a you know, have dinner with, although they're probably mostly ascetic and not eating very much. <laughs> um, but I'm not sure I'd want to join them.
3: Yeah. I think, like you said, I think it's a, there's a difference between wanting to join and wanting to understand. And I think that that's, that's something that a lot of people, I know for myself, like I just wasn't raised to think that way it's in church and in bible college and stuff there was like if you went to learn something it was like you were adhering to it but i think now i'm at this place where i'm not trying to adhere to what these things say i just want to understand them because i feel like understanding that can help me be a better christian myself
0: right and if, yeah. and if you want stuff that seems weird well you know you got the last several chapters of the book of daniel the last right. several <laughs> chapters of zachariah mark <laughs> chapter 13 and most of revelation yeah you've had enough
3: we have our own weird stuff, right?
0: <laughs> weird stuff in the Bible and in both Old and New Testaments to use the Christian terms.
3: Definitely. So talk to me about Second Timothy 3:16. You're the expert <laughs> in the area of the of the New Testament. And uh I feel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but to put it rather bluntly, it feels like the the evangelical church in particular has almost hijacked this verse to make it mean something, maybe force a doctrine on it that maybe it's not set to carry. And for our listeners, uh, the verse is all scriptures God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And this verse was like drilled into my head as a kid. One of the first ones I had to memorize. And along with it came the teaching that the Bible is inerrant, you know, Genesis through Revelation. It's infallible. It's as clear as day. You know, God has spelt out everything He wants us to do. And uh, I would venture to say that for most of our listeners, that's probably the same type of thing that they were taught. But How do you understand this verse, A.J.? Take us to to school.
0: (laughs) Okay. So for those people who aren't sure what God breathed means, (laughs) that's that's really what the Greek says. Um, The standard interpretation is inspired. So, you know, all Hmm. scripture is inspired by God. I mean, I think part of the problem when you yank a text out of context um, is is you forget what the text is supposed to be doing in its original setting. Um, I, I like to go on to the next verse so that everyone who belongs to God may be, may be proficient and then equipped for every good work. Mm. And then my, some of my Christians said, what? Good works? No, 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 that's works righteousness. Right. <laughs> Early about that. Um, you know, it, it doesn't say it's God-breathed in order to tell you about biology or mm. archaeology or um, how, how to do medicine, right? Um, the idea is that you do good works um, and if somebody gets off track, you're there for correction, which is in fact, part of the old Testament as well.
1: Mm.
0: Again, I'm just going to use Christian terms here, given your audience, but so when you have, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, the the verse right before that is if you see your neighbor doing something wrong, rebuke your neighbor. That's that mm. reproof. That's the correction. That's training in righteousness because one sign of love of neighbor Um, is you keep an eye on, you know, your family and the person next door to help that person stay on the right path. Mm. Um, So the the idea is, this is all for helping people do good, do good, good Mm. works, Mm. not so much hammered doctrine into people's minds. Mm. Moreover, I think when Second Timothy is talking about all scripture, given when Second Timothy was written, Second Timothy is not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Second Timothy is talking about Leviticus mm. and Isaiah mm. and Malachi and the Psalms.
3: Yeah, you have to think about because that's one of the first things that popped into my head when I started to rethink a lot of this stuff was like, well, when this verse was written, whenever it was written, like what were the scriptures to that person? You know, I know right. some people say Paul wrote it. A lot of scholars you can correct me if I'm wrong, so that Paul didn't write it, but I think like asking that question, like, well, what, whoever wrote this book, what was their scriptures? I think is a very important question.
0: Right. And the word scripture in Greek is just graphes writings. Then you have to figure out, well, what fits into that category scripture? And now we've got another problem because we started right there to begin with. If people have different Bibles, what does all scripture, what are all these What what's the content? Um, Does all scripture include um, Hebrews or does it include Jude or Revelation or some of those other texts that had a bit of a problem getting into the canon to begin with.
3: Mm. But is that word, is that referring just to sacred scriptures or is it referring to any kind of writing? Like maybe something that you and I would write. Is that something that is in a sense God breathed because it's like inspired by the spirit or
0: made that claim? Yeah. And then how do you know? Was um Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail God breathed? Um, so I, I think that poem at the inauguration had that, that, you know, it, it took my breath away listening. Yeah. Wow. That was really good. Um, you hear, you hear a beautiful, um, violin solo and you say that was inspired.
1: Hmm.
0: I give a good lecture, God willing. And say God, that was an inspired (laughs) lecture. God breathed. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You're channeling (laughs) a couple of amens and hallelujahs from the class. Um, how do you know? So maybe, it,
3: maybe it's the fruit maybe it's the fruit, the fruit yeah because
0: yeah. you know a good person at martin this is martin to the original martin luther right good works don't make a good man but a good man bears good fruit yeah how do you know yep. what's the result mm. is the result good works is the result peace is the result comfort is the result inspiration to others mm. or is the result violence or depression yeah. is that, you know? You, yeah. And you just do the best you can. I think graphe here means biblical text, hmm. but then you got to wonder what the writer thought. And I don't think Paul wrote it. I think it was right, written in Paul's name. What that author thought counted as scripture, right? Hmm. Did Paul's letters for the author count as scripture? Hmm. And that yeah. remains an open question.
3: And then if it was written by Paul, I mean, that opens up a whole nother door of questions, right? Because I feel like one of the reasons why that verse has carried so much weight in my theological training was because a lot of times when I was told that Paul was the one who wrote it, well, Paul is this huge authoritative figure in the Bible. And so if it came from Paul's pen, so to speak, then it must carry a lot of weight. And I think that when, for me, when I started to wonder, maybe if someone else had written this in Paul's name, well, why was that? And what does that mean for how I understand the text as well?
0: Right, Or does it matter? Because in the long run, it comes into tra- tradition as under Paul. In the same way, we can look at all those chapters in the book of Isaiah, and it's pretty clear that there, there are at least three time periods being referenced. The time of, yeah. of Ahaz sometime around 700, the time of the Babylonian exile in the 6th century, and then then after the repatriation of the Judeans back to the homeland. Mm. Um, but we all, it's all under the name of Isaiah. Yeah. So you can do the history, but at least in terms of reception, um, it, it's all one thing. Yeah. Um, and yes, we can look at, at, at Second Timothy and say, oh, yeah, it's all God breathed. Um, but then we can go back to some of that other stuff in, in the corpus of First and Second Timothy and Titus, um, and you start getting comments on how children should behave and how slaves should behave and so on. He says, is that God breathed? Yeah. Right. Hmm. Slaves be obedient to your masters from from Ephesians, which I also don't think is Paul. I think it was written in Paul's name. Hmm. Yeah. Not real happy about that. Yeah. I'd rather have masters set your slaves free and set them up so they can be financially independent. That would have been a good command.
3: Right. (laughs) It left that part out, right?
0: (laughs) Missed that one. I mean, the Old Testament missed it as well. Hmm. Um, you, You shall love the strangers yourself because you were strangers in the land of Egypt should have been. You shall set your slaves free and take care of them, because you were slaves in the land of Egypt and you knew how awful it was. That's what it should have said, mm. but we're stuck with the text that we've got.
3: I think that's so beautiful because I think it it shows that as a people we've we've evolved, right? I mean, there we see things that should be there that they didn't see maybe then. So I think just our understanding of humanity and human rights, our understanding of God and the divine, I think like it just shows like the Bible is not just dis- perfect infallible inerrant book but i think it's it's it really depicts how people have understood god throughout history and how that has grown and changed and evolved
0: right because we're not supposed to be worshiping the bible the technical yeah. term would be bibliolatry right right um so you're supposed to be worshiping um uh, god to which the text or whichever text you're using points mm-hmm. Um, and doing through th- doing so through your own interpretation and through the interpretation of your community. Because yeah. I don't think one can be a Jew or a Christian just by oneself. It, it, both traditions require some sort of community.
1: Yeah,
0: um, Jesus, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, not just you on your own. Mm. Um, and the Jewish concern, it's very, very communitarian. So that there are certain prayers we can only say with a quorum. Mm. I
3: love that. Just that putting this verse back in that, Kind of context that you just explained really just I think frees it up because you know, like you said, the worship of the Bible. I think for me, like when I look back over my own past, like the Bible was like the fourth member of the Trinity, and sometimes it was like the maybe the third because you know, we we can't see the Holy Spirit, but we can see the Bible, we can read the Bible, right? And so much
0: Protestants would would sneak the Virgin Mary in there somewhere,
3: (laughs) right? Exactly, and there was just so much weight put on the text. But I think that this really cuts a lot of chains off of it and just lets it be what it is.
0: Right, Uh, another thing that that you can consider is that the old Italian proverb all translators are traitors. So not only do we worry about what order we have um, and what books we have, we also have to worry about the translation. So when you know when the NRSV came out, people burned it because it talked about a young woman in Isaiah seven fourteen rather than a virgin. Mm. Um, it's, you know, and I, I don't think burning Bibles is terribly helpful either.
3: Right, right. So would you think it's fair to say, like after I I, I have to say I read three quarters of the book. I probably skimmed the last piece, and I, I was kind of a thought I came away with is that. Although there's no maybe right way to read a text, there certainly are some wrong ways to read a text. Would that be accurate?
0: Mm, I think there are multiple right ways of reading a text. So I think you're selling yourself short. Um, mm. If you get a reading that the text can bear, it works for you and it's ethically responsible, why would that not be a right reading? Yeah. Um, right does not mean comprehensive because we're never going to get it all. Yeah. Uh, old rabbinic statement, it's not your duty to complete the task, mm. but neither are you free to desist from it. So we're not going to get it all but we can certainly get a right reading that works for this particular moment so maybe a or better
3: way to say it would be there's no there's no one right reading
0: i think that's correct
3: yeah but there's there may be right
0: several right readings yeah um, uh, in terms of wrong reading um i i'm not real happy with the term wrong um mm. but readings that that if you come up with a reading and i look at the text and i go i can't see how you got that mm. Right. Then I have a reading that it, at least it doesn't work for me. And then, then you and I would need to have a conversation. How did you get that hmm. from that text?
3: Maybe that's what it all boils down to. Then it's back to that original point that it's about understanding just because right. something seems like it's wrong to me. If it seems right to you, the the, the thing to say isn't, well, it's wrong. The thing to say is what well, help me understand why this makes sense to you.
0: Right. So at the yeah. end, you, you might want to say, okay, I don't agree with you, but at least I can see how you got it. Yeah. And that's one of the things that the Bible with and without Jesus is trying to do is to say, at the end of the day, you may not agree with me, but at least I see the logic in your argument. You're not making it up. It's not fanciful. It's not a bunch of pagan stuff that you threw in. It's not a bunch of um, uh, invented material. Hmm. There's a logic to Jewish interpretation and a logic to Christian interpretation. Yeah.
3: Now, one of the things you make, a point you make in the book is that it's it's obvious how Christians can learn from the Jewish text, but you also encourage Jewish people to be more mindful in reading of Christian texts, because Jewish people can learn things from Christian writings as well. So can you expand on that a little bit? Because I was always taught, obviously going back as you know, in seminary, reading Hebrew scriptures, reading Hebrew culture, all those different things very helpful. But I was never really taught that the opposite is also true.
0: Thank you for the question. Um, There there are multiple reasons why Jews should be reading the Christian material. Hmm. Uh, First of all, it's part of Jewish history. Hmm. It it should be pretty common knowledge now that Jesus was Jewish and Paul and all the Marys and James, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the rest of them, they're Jews. So it's part of Jewish history. Its interpretation has impacted Jewish lives, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. Things like um, the blood cry in Matthew 27, his blood be on our heads and on the heads of our children, Um, and other uh, statements that through the centuries have been interpreted by Christians to the Mm -hmm. detriment of Jews. Um, It's part of that sense of respecting our neighbors. So if we Jews want Christians to know more about us than, you know, something in Leviticus, which they haven't read but think they have, you know, a production of Fiddler on the Roof, uh, and something going on in the Middle East,
1: Mm.
0: and now Kamala Harris's husband, Um, you know, we should show that same respect to Christians so we know a little bit more about them than decorations in the mall, which I missed this year, Mm. Um, or uh, the average TV show with its Christmas special. Mm. Right. That's mutual respect.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Reading, for for me, reading the New Testament is recovering Jewish history. Hmm. Um, And I personally find in the teachings of Jesus stuff that works for me, um, because one does not have to be, one does not have to worship him as Lord and Savior in order to read his parables and go, wow, those are amazing stories. They're provocative and they indict and they're inspirational and many of them are funny. So, I think he had some really, really profound things to say. And you know, I don't think the Christians ought to be hoarding that stuff that's really good Jewish wisdom that Jews ought to know about.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: that doesn't mean we need to be citing Jesus in a synagogue context, hmm. uh, but it's still good to know.
3: I guess it goes back to that point that just because you're reading it and you're trying to understand it doesn't mean that you're necessarily aligning your life with it or you're adopting this into your into your faith, but it just means that you're trying to come to an understanding of what it is, what it means, and how it can make you a better person, a better Jewish person.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, and how I can help my Christian friends become better Christians. And one of the right. weird things about my job is, um, a number of my students are actually fairly disaffected Christians who grew up in, in very, um, very, very conservative churches. And and they're, they're still kind of hanging on to the New Testament, mm. but they're really more into like the social justice warrior mode. Yeah. Um, And they sort of tossed the Bible aside because it kept getting hammered into them so much it it became an abusive text rather than an inspirational one. So I'm now in this weird position, I as a Jew, of telling my disaffected Christian friends not only about Jesus, but also about the New Testament and how it has proved helpful over time um, and how it has been used to oppress, but also to liberate, And through biblical interpretation, we can find those moments of liberation. So I can on occasion give them back to them their text.
3: That hits a soft spot in me, a soft spot in me, just because like I just thinking about my own history, there was a while like when I started this podcast that I put my Bible away for like six months to a year, just because so much of what I had been taught and so many different ways that I was taught to read it just felt so I don't know, just so abusive, I guess, for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word. I just felt like it just carried this baggage that I just could not separate myself from. So I just had to put it away for a while just so that I could look at it with fresh eyes. And uh, for myself, like I just got, like you just said, much more interested in some of the social justice things, but I couldn't see how the Bible fit into those things until I Mm -hmm. put it away and I came back to it with fresh eyes. And now I just see it in a much different
0: light. Absolutely. Um and to have the per- to have permission to argue with it? Yes. As yeah. as one would argue with a lover, why not, right? Yeah. Um it's it, if you believe in in God, then God's not going to get upset with you if you say, "Gee, I don't think so. I think my sense of the divine is God would be delighted with that." Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, you came up with something. That's terrific. Right. Um uh you grew. Yeah. Um even the New Testament says that Jesus grew in wisdom, right? So if Jesus has a learning curve, maybe we should too. Yeah,
3: that's right. Yeah, one of the most liberating moments for me, I think I was reading one of Pete Enns' books, you know, Pete, Mm -hmm. and um, I forget which book it was, but he talked in there about like reading something in there, something in the Bible and then saying, I don't think I agree with that. And and what like a liberating moment that was for me to think that, oh, I don't have to just read this book and figure out a way to explain away the problems and make Mm -hmm. it seem like it's like, it's like, it's okay and kind of justify different things. Like it's okay to read it. And say, no, I think that the person who wrote this maybe maybe got it wrong because they didn't see the whole picture.
0: Right. Um, and yeah. we can even see the biblical text uh, arguing with itself. So one of the chapters yep. in the book talks about how slavery is understood. Mm. Um, and you can watch the slave codes change. Um, mm. They become increasingly liberal. I mean, it would have been great if they'd gotten rid of it all. And they sure, altogether. And did. Uh, but the text the text itself is in dialogue mm. and sometimes in debate. Hmm. um and when my christian students say well you know that's just the old testament no i mean you got four gospels so you can have four gospels that makes sense because how do you tell the story of this fabulous guy in just one Hmm. um you got two two creation stories because how do you talk about the beginning of the world in just one (laughs) right um, and they don't always agree. And that's okay. Yeah. Hmm. Right. And just think about individual human beings, like, like how people know you or people know me. Yeah. I mean, my kids know me differently than my students, than my husband, than my in-laws, than my own parents, uh, than my close friends, uh, than my my scholarly colleagues. Just and, different
3: perspectives. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I will probably, I, and I suspect that I act differently, you know, with, with a child's baby than I would with, with an academic interlocutor.
3: Sure. And all of those perspectives are very different from how you probably see yourself. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: And that, and that may change depending upon you know whether my hair is working in the morning. Or not.
3: <laughs> right. Exactly. So, uh, last question for you, uh, since the majority of our listeners are in that place of uh, deconstructing, they're rethinking things, uh, they're stepping out of their maybe evangelical settings, they're wrestling with these kinds of questions. What's your advice for them as they? move forward through their own kind of wilderness of doubts and questions and trying to wrestle with the text.
0: Yeah, well, you use the word question twice and I think that's spot on, Hmm. Keep asking questions. Yep. Uh, And if you're not satisfied with the answer, keep asking or find other people to ask, or, you know, call me up or better send me an email. (laughs) Um, Talk talk with other people and and do some discerning, Uh, have enough, and this is something I've learned over time, um have enough humility to admit that you might be wrong right yes um, that, that's something that Mark and I had to work out in this book where every once in a while <laughs> you know I was holding on to something and Mark finally came up with the argument that clinched it and I went okay you're right <laughs> can i, I concede right. <laughs> i give it to you right <laughs> uh, you know, so hang on to your view but be, be willing to acknowledge that the thing that you think the most the, the most secure might in fact be relatively weak and that's okay. Cause yeah. you've got friends to catch you. <laughs>
3: right, um,
0: yeah. Don't don't think that you have to maintain the same interpretation. If you read a text when you're six and you read it when you're 16, you come up with exactly the same interpretation, something's gone wrong.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: Cause you ought to be able to grow with that text. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think to go back to that original question, keep asking questions. Hmm. Never, never stop because once you stop asking questions, there's no more communication, there's no more imagination, there's nothing else to learn. Yeah, pack it up and go home.
3: Yeah, and I think for our Christian listeners, like that's something that I think one of the first things we can learn from Jesus is that he was always asking questions. Somebody asked him a question, he'd ask another question. <laughs> you know, it's very rare that he gave a straight answer, he was just filled with a lot of questions. I think that's something that we can learn.
0: Yep, he typically answers a question with a question. And, and for the most part, when he does that um, to the young man who wanted to inherit eternal life, you know, wh- why do you call me good? Right. And then you know the commandments. Mm. Um, or to the, the lawyer who asked him basically the, st- the same question the run up to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm. Um, what is written in the law? What do you read there? Which is Jesus sending you back to the Old Testament saying, go read that stuff. It's important. Mm. Um, he treats his interlocutors as adults, not like children. Yeah, He tells okay. them parables, but usually does not provide interpretation of those parables. Mm. Um, he gives some teaching that's hyperbolic. Like if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Mm. Uh, and, and he lets you work on that. Yeah. So he treats you like adults. And like adults, we got to sit with that stuff and then talk about it. And then come back and talk about it again the following week mm. and read about it and see what we've got, recognizing that whatever we got is always going to be partial, is always going to be contingent on who we are and how we were raised and what we had for breakfast that morning, if we had enough food to have breakfast. Mm -hmm. Um, And that our neighbor may come up with a different reading and we should rejoice in that as well.
3: Well, AJ, that's a good note to end things on. Uh, We're just about out of time, but uh, thank you. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me and uh, for your work and for the influence that you've had on me and so many of our listeners. Thank you.
0: Always great to talk with you. I look forward to the next time. She said hinting for another invitation.
3: Yes, well, I will definitely reach out to you and I'll put the link in the show notes and I'll be in touch for another conversation.
0: That's fabulous. Thank Take you, AJ. Take care, Be safe, wear a mask.
3: Thank you. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: The patience paid off. Now it's go time. Go time. The worries around me, you give my Board in the Queen City, got the 49. Go to Green Trip, don't me where the coast So people doubted me, that's close to me, that's their regret. When i make it, I'ma take it. All I do is rest, remain grounded, self care. That's when I'm at my best. A little crazy, that's when I'm at a test, feeling tune. Yeah we riding, yeah we rolling, all the way to the ocean. Uh, I thought I told you got the sauce, yeah, I told you got the sauce. Remember, boy got the sauce. Yeah. yeah. Riding, yeah, we rolling, all the way to the ocean, uh, I thought I told you got the sauce, yeah, I told you got yeah. the sauce, remember boy, I got the sauce, yeah, yeah, uh, all these people hating, that's his motivation, passing through like CDs, they're in rotation, let me talk my speech like the Emancipation, you know we going places, where the smiling faces like that we chose, we throwing the bows, from the seven to four, cause we all on the road uh, Know I got my pride, I can't even lie. Ain't no time to settle. Feel like Biggie, I was born to die. Yeah we riding, yeah be rolling, all the way to the ocean. Uh, I thought I told you got the sauce, yeah. I told you yeah. got the sauce. Remember, boy, got the sauce, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah we riding, yeah be rolling, all the way to the ocean. Uh, I thought I told you got the sauce, yeah. I, I told you yeah. got the sauce. Remember, boy, got the sauce, yeah. Yeah.